Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. Tracy Dorman loved her job. It involved doing medical coding for a local rescue squad in southern Vermont. I, I loved the work. Reading the, the calls, you had to decipher, you know, what the proper codes are for the, the billing and all of that. It was only part-time, but the work she was doing was important. It just gave me purpose. It gave me, it was fulfilling for me. And that job was really great for me. And then one day, her bosses gave her some exciting news. They said, okay, this job is going to become full-time. Going full-time, and they wanted Dorman to take the position. But instead of popping a bottle of champagne to celebrate her promotion, Dorman had to start running some complicated financial calculations. And I really had to make that decision. Is it possible for me to earn this much money with my benefit plus my earnings? That benefit Dorman's talking about is from a federal program called Social Security Disability Insurance, or SSDI. It's for people who develop a disability that forces them to leave work, which is exactly what happened to Dorman about 20 years ago. She's been an amputee since she was 11 years old, but she says it didn't really interfere with her day-to-day until later on in life, when her physical condition became more painful. I mean, it just hit me like a ton of bricks suddenly when I turned 40. It's just really weird. So, Dorman went on SSDI. But like a lot of people who enroll in that program, Dorman's condition improved. Improved enough that she felt like she could re-enter the workforce, which is how she ended up at the rescue squad and how she got that full-time job offer. And Dorman, she really wants to be able to accept the position. There's a catch, though. If Dorman goes full-time with the rescue squad, she's going to make too much money to qualify for her disability benefits. But the extra income from those extra hours, it's less than the value of the benefits she'll lose if she goes off SSDI. And so Dorman has to decide, can she afford the financial hit she's going to take if she accepts this full-time position? And when it came to the time, they said, okay, it's time. We need this to go full-time. I said, "I, I can't do that. I just can't do it. And they said, okay, your job ends, whatever, March, April 5th. That was very hard for me because I really wanted to work as long as I possibly could. This weird dilemma Dorman faced has a name. It's called the Benefits Cliff. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evansy. And I'm Peter Hirschfeld. Here on the show, we answer your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today, I have a question about people with disabilities with uh, disability benefits. A voicemail on the BLS hotline leads us to the edge of this benefits cliff. It's a place where Vermonters who rely on disability benefits face an impossible choice. Do I work more and lose these benefits, or do I not work as much and maintain these benefits? 
One in seven Vermonters live with a disability, and if you're not one of them and think this doesn't affect you, there's a good chance you're wrong. Because according to federal statistics, more than one in four of today's 20-year-olds will be out of work for at least a year during their working life due to a disabling condition. But if you come to rely on certain benefits, like SSDI, they can kind of trap you. Both programs are based on what I would consider an outdated notion that you're either completely disabled or you're not. But we know that disability is far more fluid than that. Why is it the way it is? Why aren't they fixing it? We have support from VPR sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. The Benefits Cliff came to Brave Little State's attention thanks to a guy named Matthew LaFleur. Where are you talking to me from right now? Alberg, Vermont. Did you grow up there? Is that where you've been your whole life? No, no, no. Uh, I'm actually from Iowa. Council Bluffs, Iowa, to be precise. But Matthew moved here when he was five, so most of his memories are from his time here in Vermont. I'm 32 years old. I just had a birthday, just recently. (laughs) Happy birthday, then. Thank you. Matthew is a community-minded person. He works with kids, serves on a local town committee in Alberg, and in March, he ran for not one, but two local offices. What exactly did you run for? School board and select board. Two-year term and three-year term. Because it's about, for me, it's something I want to do for my community. I understand what other people are uh, feeling. And he says he understands what people are feeling because he's had a unique life experience himself. Matthew has some disabilities, including autism and dyslexia, so he says he knows how to face challenges and can help other people tackle theirs. And one of the challenges Matthew's trying to overcome is the reason he called Brave Little State's hotline, where you can leave a message with your question. I have a question about people with disabilities with the disability benefits, because people with disabilities cannot get full-time jobs because of the way the system was built. Just like Tracy Dorman, whom we met at the top of the episode, Matthew has faced the benefits cliff. Basically, the system says pretty much if you take a full-time job, any full-time job, regardless of which, you lose your health insurance and your benefits. Plain and simple. There's not much of a career for people with disabilities in Vermont. SSDI is your livelihood, basically. Yeah. I'm like everybody else. I pay rent, heating bills. So, so right now, the things that you would lose if you got a full-time job are... Important things. Your $900 a month and your health care benefits. For me, it's just, uh, if I didn't have that barrier, you know, I won't have to worry about, you know, my professional career. Like, I would like to fulfill that dream going forward and helping not only serve my town and community, but service state in a way that, you know what, hey, this person, you know, that has this, you know, disability is actually serving for the people of Vermont. 
So what would Matthew do if he didn't have to worry about the benefits, Cliff? Oh, working with children. <laughs> I see the way their, their lives that I see myself when I was young. And, you know, the children has been a big, big deal for me because most people don't think of it as the way I do. But if you talk to them and you listen to them, they're te- they can teach you. Children can teach you. Believe me. Matthew helped shape the reporting for this episode and even joined us for some of our interviews. We'll meet up with him later, and we'll also meet some more Vermonters who live at the edge of this cliff. But first, this benefits cliff seems like such an obvious flaw in the system. So why does it exist at all? And why hasn't anyone done anything about it? It's sort of a classic situation where um, there's a policy decision to be made, but each time Congress is sort of said, well, let's study it more. That's James Smith. He works at the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, which is part of the Vermont Agency of Human Services. Because if you tweak anything with Social Security, because it's so huge, there's always a billion dollar potential with any change in um, any kind of rule or policy. For the last 30 years, a big part of Smith's job has been helping people safely repel down the benefits cliff, but he says it's not always possible. And to understand why, you need to understand a little more about the federal programs at play here. First, you have the Social Security Disability Insurance Program we've been talking about, SSDI. It's been around since 1956. If you're working right now, you actually pay into this program. You've probably seen the deduction on your paycheck for Social Security. SSDI is there to help you if you ever develop a disability that prevents you from working. Then there's another program called Supplemental Security Income, SSI. That program was created in 1972, and it provides benefits to people with disabilities who have never been able to work and haven't been paying into SSDI. Lots of acronyms, I know, but even if you can't keep track of which is which, James Smith says there's a structural flaw to both of them, both SSI and SSDI. Both programs are based on what I would consider an outdated notion that you're either completely disabled or you're not. But we know that disability is far more fluid than that. Which means the programs don't do a very good job of acknowledging the earning power of people with disabilities and creates incredibly punitive consequences for people who do want to work. So that's where the benefits cliff comes from. Why hasn't anyone done anything about it? Well, Smith says a lot of smart people have been trying for a very long time. For this, we go back to 1999. It really started with um, the 1999 Ticket to Work and Work Incentives Improvement Act, which was actually sponsored by Senator Jeffords at the time. That's Vermont Senator Jim Jeffords he's referring to there. Jeffords teamed up with Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy to update the Social Security program and basically get rid of some of the barriers we've been talking about. At the time, they recognized that the cash cliff was a problem. We really hoped that that legislation would provide an alternative. Um, That didn't happen didn't happen because instead of fixing the benefits cliff, that bill we talked about decided instead to, wait for it, study how to fix the benefits cliff. And it is not um, an exaggeration to say that now they have spent, they've done three separate tests 
a third of which is still just finishing up this year over a 20-year period. But here's the thing. Smith says these tests the feds are running, where they look at what happens if they get rid of this cliff, all run into the same problem. The actuaries, the Social Security actuaries, the folks who predict how much things are going to cost, have suggested that if we do that, it'll make the program too attractive. And so people who have severe disabilities may be induced to then apply for social security disability to then take advantage of this work incentive. So they're they're worried about people gaming the system, in short. Yes, yes. Um, Now, I mean, for me, it doesn't pass the straight face test. Maybe you've heard this critique or fear that if benefits are too generous, people will try to exploit them. James Smith says that simply doesn't add up. Because in order for people to pull that off, here's the series of hoops they'd have to jump through. Quit the job they have now, stop working for at least a year, go through a rigorous eligibility process that denies half the people who apply, and then, if they do succeed in getting the Social Security benefit, they'd have to find another job. So, instead of calculating the potential costs of fraud or abuse, some Vermonters, which the experts, would focus on something else. I I basically think that the government state and federal are losing themselves the workforce um, in a way by having the cliff because they're not it's not allowing people to go into the workforce to get jobs pay taxes which make them less dependent on certain public benefits the toll the benefits cliff is taking on our economy that's right after this It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, we are exploring the edge of the benefits cliff, where many Vermonters who live with a disability are forced to choose between federal support and full-time careers. Pete Hirschfeld picks it up here. Nate Bazio lives in Colchester with his wife and their six-month-old baby named Reese. Right now, he's just sticking everything in his mouth, man. He is just like, oh, oh. he's like, oh, what's this? That's good. I'll stick it in my mouth. Bazio uses a wheelchair, and he's lived with disabilities since he was paralyzed in a diving accident when he was a teenager. But he didn't encounter the benefits cliff until well into adulthood. He'd gone to college, then gotten a master's in business, and landed a good-paying full-time job at the University of Vermont as a business manager. Then in 2010... I had some injuries. I got some pressure sores, which caused me to have to leave work. It was a serious medical situation. And because he couldn't work, Bazayo had to go on Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, to pay the bills. It took me a couple of years to recover, but I was recovered and I wanted to work. And he wanted to go back to work full time, like he had before. But what I found out was that if I worked full time and if I earned a certain amount of money, it would push me off my benefits. For Bazayo, it wasn't just money he'd lose if he got a full-time job. At this point, he also relied on Medicaid benefits for major costs related to his ongoing medical care. He'd lose a big portion of those benefits, too. I would have to pay a patient share to Medicaid to keep my benefits. That was basically what I was earning while I work. So basically, I would be volunteering. So for the past seven years, this guy with a master's degree in business has been working part-time. Not because I don't think I can't work more than that, not because I don't want to work more than that, 
But if I do work more than that, it's going to push me off this benefits cliff. In a way, I'm kind of stuck. Either, you know, do I work more and lose these benefits or do I not work as much and maintain these benefits? But because working full-time would cause all these other problems, I, I can't do it. Over the course of reporting this story, I've come to think of the Benefits Cliff as an actual geological feature, a place where people like Nate Bazzio and Matthew LaFleur and Tracy Dorman wheel or walk to, where they peer off the edge and try to judge the distance and calculate how bad their injuries are going to be if they make the leap. And that precipice is a disturbingly crowded place. According to a report published last year by the Vermont Center for Independent Living, there are 94,000 Vermonters who live with a disability. That's one in seven of us. Of those 94,000 Vermonters, about half are of working age. But of those 43,000 or so working age Vermonters with a disability, fewer than half are actually working. James Smith at the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation says the benefits cliff isn't entirely responsible for that shortfall, but he says the cliff is definitely preventing the state from tapping the full value of that workforce and preventing people with disabilities from pursuing their ambitions. It's just the, you know, the, the kind of foolishness of a program structure that is basically designed to make it very, very difficult for people on SSDI to to exit the roles. Smith says there's a number that makes this clear. One half of 1% of people on SSDI leave the program each year because they've decided to work full-time. 3% of SSDI beneficiaries leave the program over their lifetimes because of work. So pretty much most people, when they go in the program, never come out because of work. And that, to me, is slam-dunk evidence that the program's not designed correctly and that there has to be a better way. Our question asker, Matthew LaFleur, suggested we interview Kaya Morris for this episode. Morris is a former state representative who now works as director of movement politics at an organization called Rights and Democracy. Hello. Hey, doing, Kaya? So good. So good. How are you? At Rights and Democracy, Morris recruits non-traditional candidates for local and statewide offices and then helps them with their campaigns. And the work that we're really trying to do has always been centered on a spirit of collective liberation and moving folks that are from the margins of the centers and seats of power into those spaces and places of decision-making power. We should disclose here that Rights and Democracy endorsed Matthew's run for school board earlier this year. Matthew had to fill out a long questionnaire to earn that endorsement. Today, though, Matthew's asking the questions. The system itself, you know, it's so not current up to date. Why is it the way it is? Why is the system not transparent the way it is? And they have the tools and technology to fix it. But why aren't they fixing it? I appreciate that so much. And this is so key. What you were asking before is thinking about what does transparency mean when we're talking about um, policies that are actually supposed to lift people out of poverty, give everyone a dignified way of living. As a nation, we have much reckoning to do around that. And Morris have- says the benefits cliff is the product of a much deeper problem in Vermont and the rest of the country a structural and systemic problem that has devalued people with disabilities. Last month, for example, the Vermont House of Representatives passed a resolution apologizing for the state's role in the eugenics movement, 
Less than 100 years ago, lawmakers in Vermont passed a law that effectively sanctioned the forced sterilization of hundreds of Vermonters. People with disabilities were disproportionately targeted by that sterilization program. We have, as a culture, as a nation, determined that if there are individuals who are not wanted, that they literally do not deserve the life to, to live. They should not have the opportunity to reproduce and that their visibility needs to be essentially reversed. And Morris says there is an undeniable connection between the historically inhumane treatment of people with disabilities and the systems we purportedly use to help them today. There are so many ways and spaces within policy that we do not support our disability community and we enable for a continued narrative that there aren't that many people that are affected and that their needs are not are not um, salient. And Matthew says he's begun to realize that this fight is about more than the benefits cliff. It leads into something much bigger than that. It's basically the system itself. And for me, that's in that system. It's, you know, there's no way out. For me, I look at the system as, you know, is there a way I can really make a difference here? I don't like fighting, but I have to because it ain't just my rights that I'm fighting for. It's everybody's rights I'm fighting for. The children's rights with disabilities I'm fighting for. The seniors, the veterans. James Smith says there's some solid evidence emerging that the benefits cliff, at least, is a solvable problem. In 2005, the Social Security Administration agreed to let Vermont do a controlled study. They took 600 SSDI beneficiaries and put half of them in a group where they had the standard rules and half in a group where they had um, a graduated earnings offset. Based on that study, which was later replicated in Utah and Connecticut, when people can work more without losing benefits, they do. Beneficiaries with the earnings offset took in significantly more income than the people who didn't get it. Um, We were able to show um, that people earn more when they were in the alternative rules. Another pilot project is in the works right now. Thanks to some funding from a private foundation, Vermont is testing a concept that replaces lost SSDI benefits with cash. Smith says solving this problem once and for all is going to take statutory changes at the federal level. But in the meantime, he says this pilot program may offer a way to provide some relief. We could create our own on-off ramp for folks instead of waiting for federal legislation that may never happen. And Smith argues there's real urgency to doing something sooner than later. Because right now, he says, there's just so much value the state is missing out on. The economic costs are that you have a lot of people who are, are not in the workforce or, or, or participating at a, ver- at a, a level below their, below their capacity, which is just bad for Vermont and bad for the economy. And That's something I heard from Tracy Dorman, too. She's the woman we met at the very top of the episode, who had to quit when she got promoted to full-time. If they could just comprehend that they become tax, they're taxpayers. They're paying into the system. They're being productive you know, citizens of their community. They're participating in, in life. And the, the Vermont, state of Vermont is missing out on a lot of talent, a lot of educated professional people. I checked back with Matthew a few days after we finished most of our reporting to hear his reflections, get his guidance on what this episode should sound like, and what he wanted people to take away. And he tells me there's something Kaya Mora said that he's had stuck in his head. 
what she said about are we truly with the system are we truly free pretty much you know and that resonates with me because you know what in many ways because you know and that's what kaya moore says we're not truly free until we get these get to handle these situations that you know what try to you know remove some of these you know barriers for people with disabilities and others you know to be able to live our lives out live our lives out in a way that's meaningful way And here's another takeaway Matthew has, something he's taking with him as he continues his own push to reform the benefits cliff. Speak up. Speak up. Tell your story. Tell the true fact story of your life. Because, you know, the more information the person gets about you, the more in tune they're going to be with their feelings about how to address them in a way that's, you know, meaningful. And once they're in tune, Matthew hopes they'll get involved. Because if it's not already clear, this isn't just about how much money a person with disabilities can make. For me, it's not all about the money at the end, you know. It's about doing what is right and what's just, you know, and what do you want to, what do you want to do with your life? And how do you want to let others perceive you as? Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Matthew LaFleur for the great question. If you want to call our BLS hotline, the number is 802-552-4880. Our website is bravelittlestate.org. That's where you can sign up for our show's newsletter and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. This episode was reported by Peter Hirschfeld. Mix and sound design by Josh Crane. The Brave Little State team is Myra Flynn, Josh Crane, Elodie Reed, Lynn McRae, and me. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Sarah Launderville. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from VPR's sustaining members. You can become one of those at bravelittlestate.org donate. Or just tell your friends about the show. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with more people-powered storytelling. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.